Hello, and welcome to the Legion Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, I'll be discussing the Legion of Superheroes for DC Comics. This is Legion Spotlight number five, and in this episode, we're going to be continuing our catch-up reading. We're going to cover the first appearance of Supergirl, the first appearance of Super Monkey, Streaky the Super Cat, Dev M, and round it out with a Superboy issue that apparently hadn't made my list the first time around, and a short feature out of a Superman annual. That'll catch us up through the end of 1961. We've already covered back in Legion Spotlight number three, the first two Legion issues that came out in 1962, so next time around we'll be able to pick up from where we left off back in Legion Spotlight number three. But for now, let's hop back in that Legion time bubble and catch a couple of issues that we'd missed the first time around. Next up is Action Comics number 252 and the Supergirl from Krypton. Now this is written by Otto Binder and we've got art by Al Plastino and this is from March 1959. Now, this is a 10-cent comic, but we're only going to be talking about the eight pages of the Supergirl story, and really it's about seven and two-thirds, I guess. Now, this story takes place just a couple of months after the origin of the Legion, because the Legion in, well, actually, it's about a year after, I guess. Action Comics 247, with the first appearance of the Legion of Superheroes, was April 1958. March 1959 is when we get this story with the Supergirl from Krypton, and it was pretty clear from the way they're they're talking about it here of a new member of the super family and such that they're trying to expand the superman franchise and i mean why not so i mean the key events we get in this issue are the first appearance of supergirl kara zor-el she's the daughter of zor-el brother of jor-el superman's father we get the first appearance of argo city but it's it's not named that here and supergirl takes on the secret identity of linda lee now in the span of these eight pages eight ton happens, or at least gets recounted to us, because we've got the title panel here, which is, I don't know, about two-thirds of the page, which is, you know, Supergirl popping out of the ship saying, hey, it's me. And that's evocative of what happens later. It's not part of the story itself, but that was kind of how they'd start stories in these days. Really, we start with, with Clark at the Daily Planet, hearing the rocket ship about to crash, seeing it with his telescopic vision, and heading on out. He reminisces on how similar that was to his rocket ship from Krypton when he was a baby. Doesn't expect to find anybody alive. Out pops Supergirl, who recognizes Superman. This kind of throws him a little, but she explains, hey, I'm from Krypton too. And he's like, how? Because of course he thought, you know, Krypton exploded long ago. So one, no survivors. And two, how'd it take you so long to get here? And she's wearing a Supergirl costume. Now, it's a little different than what we would normally recognize. The skirt's all blue. Uh, Sometimes that's red and such. And she basically goes on to recount the whole story of of how she survived and and wound up in that rocket ship. A chunk of of Krypton was hurled away intact with people on it. And it, it says something about, you know, our street of homes is being flung free, implying it's literally just like a block or something and not that much, you know, whereas later this becomes like all of Argo City. And there's no dome over the city, but there was a large bubble of air 
They've got this food machine, so it's like, yeah, we can live here for a while, we're fine. Until they realize the ground's turned into kryptonite and that's going to kill them. Fortunately, they had enough lead to pave the streets and such to protect them from that. All is good for quite some time, because we get a years later kind of a caption, and that Zor-El took a wife and had a daughter. The wife, never named. She'll get one later, so don't worry about that. But we then bounce another, you know, years later. Kara is now a teenager. Meteors are hitting and, and demolishing, smashing holes in the, the lead shield, releasing the kryptonite. And they're like, well, okay, this isn't good. Now, they figure they've got about a month before the kryptonite radiation slowly poisons the air, and they're all going to die. That's enough time for Zorel to build a rocket. Okay, you've got a rocket, where are you going to send her? Kara's mom uses the Super Space Telescope, crazy name, but all right, to go pick a planet. She's examining many, finds Superman on Earth, and apparently the Super Space Telescope not only gets images, but gets audio somehow, although it was never quite clear how. They're able to learn the language, learn about Superman, he's from Krypton. Oh, Kara will have powers. And he's one of our people, so you'll at least have somebody from the same planet. All is good. Car's mom also makes her a costume like Superman's, because here they can actually cut and sew the fabric, whereas on Earth it'll become indestructible. And as Car's mom is finishing up the costume, her dad has finished up the, the rocket ship, and not a moment too soon, because the, the radiations are filling the air like poison. Again, this is 1959. The way, you know, radiation and all that stuff worked, not as well understood as it is today. But she basically rockets off the small chunk of, of Krypton or whatnot as everyone there is, is dying. She's, of course, kind of heartbroken about this. I mean, who wouldn't be? And Superman, basically, it's like, yeah, I was rocketed away as a baby, too, by my father, Jor-El. And she's like, Jor-El? My father's name is Zor-El, your, your father's brother. And it's like, oh, gosh, we're cousins, because what are the odds? And Superman's like, well, it's great to have family. I'll take care of you like a big brother. And she's like, oh, so I can live with you. And he's like, ah, uh, no. He basically takes her to Midvale Orphanage. Now, why there, I don't know. But he's got to go somewhere, I guess. And basically gets her some, some earth clothes and a wig so she'll look different. Because, I mean, nobody would recognize her. Because, well, nobody knows a Supergirl yet. But he's already thinking ahead to the secret identity stuff. She's overheard enough Earth names and stuff to pick Linda Lee as her alias. And Superman basically explains that her parents were wiped out in a disaster that took out the whole community and basically enrolls her into the orphanage. And basically telling her, you know, you need to train up, get used to, you know, Earth life and stuff before you can become Supergirl as such. And she understands that. And she gets a room at the orphanage that's... Eh, Maybe not the best. I mean, the cot is broken, you know, the, the thing needs a little repairs. But she's able to do it with her super strength, her super breath, her x-ray vision and such, you know. The heat of the x-ray vision. This is before heat vision was really a thing. But that's how she fixes the mirror, gets the dust out of the room and, and all of this, and cleans it up and starts to sort of settle in. Of course, once it's lights out for the orphanage, she's like, well... Nobody will notice if I go fly around town and learn what Midvale's all about. So she goes and does that, and basically ends on a note of, you know, Superman is, is beloved. Will she be able to get that kind of a reputation? What will the future hold for her? And it ends on a caption of, well, you can find out in future stories. 
this whole thing was basically expanding the, the quote-unquote super family of Superman, Superboy, which is just Superman as a teenager, and now Supergirl. The whole Supergirl from Krypton title of this is, I think, one of the things that eventually leads to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Because some of the next stories I'm going to be covering, like the next one is the Super Monkey from Krypton. A few down, it's going to be the Knave from Krypton. We've already had, you know, not titled as such, but the Dog from Krypton. Uh, We're going to get the Horse from Krypton, I think. So enough things are from Krypton that come crisis, there's a a need to basically pair back. If, If Superman was the sole survivor, let's have him be the sole survivor. But basically, a ton happens in these eight pages to establish her, give her the the backstory of, you know, what would become Argo City and such, and get her, you know, from not existing to situated and and whatnot in the Midvale Orphanage. Now, Supergirl is a longtime member of the Legion of Superheroes in various incarnations, which is why I thought it'd be fun to kind of circle back and, and cover this story. So once again, that's the Supergirl from Krypton in Action Comics number 252. Next up is Superboy number 76 and the Super Monkey from Krypton. The writer was Otto Binder, the artist George Papp, the cover date October 1959. Now this story is only about nine pages and it's the first appearance of Super Monkey. I mean, who'd have figured it from the Super Monkey from Krypton title? Geez. What I found kind of funny with this is it's a Superboy story, which is the adventures of Superman when he's a boy, yet basically the Kents are out at the zoo and, and Paul Kent's like, hmm, Clark, does that, that monkey remind you of anything? And basically from there, Clark is recounting a super baby adventure. So if you consider Superboy, the adventures of Superman as, as a boy, as flashback tales, and then to have a tale inside of it that's a flashback, just a little meta. And Clark starts the tale a little further in the future as Superboy, where he learned the origin of Super Monkey, because at the time they had no idea. But it turns out he was a stowaway in Kal-El's rocket ship. He had gotten out, somehow made it to a jungle, and was living there. You know, I mean, he's a Kryptonian monkey. He's able to survive pretty well. But at one point, he's looking around with his telescopic vision, happened to stumble across a flying baby, you know, young Kal-El, and decides to go visit. And from there, wackiness ensues. Clark's out back, you know, in the the backyard little inflatable pool or whatever. So he's taken off his his super suit, which the monkey then, you know, puts on. Which actually is a little interesting, because that can't have been the actual Kryptonian outfit, because at the end, Super Monkey, I think, flies off with it. But he's... the whole thing is the monkey see, monkey do trope of Super Monkey sees Super Baby do something, and he duplicates it, wackiness ensues. And Super Baby gets blamed for a lot of what's going on. Because, I mean, who else would be flying around that the Kents are aware of and such? And it's a little kind of wacky and stuff because Super Monkey has thought balloons and his level of dialogue in there is pretty much what Clark's is at this age, it seems like. So I don't know how the evolutionary thing really went on Krypton. But, I mean, the two are almost exactly the same size, which is just kind of hilarious. And Clark realizes this monkey's going to destroy all his toys, yet the monkey's not leaving, he's duplicating everything, and it gets to where, I mean, and this is a scene that I just found 
bizarre on numerous counts. Pawcat is putting fireworks in the garage for the 4th of July, which is next Saturday. He's coming out. It's like, oh, no matches to light a cigar. And Subaru is like, hey, I can do it with the heat of the X-ray vision. Okay, right outside where you just put the fireworks. Super Monkey sees this, is able to duplicate the the heat from the X-ray vision, but instead of the cigar, does it for the firecrackers, becomes panic-stricken because, you know, all the stuff's going off. This is where Clark's like, see, there is a Super Monkey. But this frightens the monkey into space. He sees what turns out to be a comet, you know, chasing him, and it's like, and this is where the story gets a little weird, because first off, he is in the super suit, so they can't be the real one. It's a kid's sailor suit in the blue and red color scheme, but clearly can't have been the, the real outfit unless he brings it back later. Anyways, he's he's flying off into space, and Clark's like, yep, couldn't find his way back to Earth, last we've seen of him. Yet in the very next panel, he's like, yeah, Crypto was a super pet, the monkey was a super pest, but that was only the first time he visited his super baby. The next time was a different story. As if we're going to get more of this, yet you just said he must have gotten lost and couldn't find his way back. So, a little mixed signals there on the end. Not a great story. Not a horrible story, it's just a little wacky and such. At this point, the monkey is not named. There is another monkey called Beepo in here, but that is the monkey of the organ grinder who'd come around... Uh, Smallville to collect coins and such, because of course, I guess those things happened. And we needed another monkey in the mix, just, yeah. So I don't know where Super Monkey showed back up, but since he became a member of the Legion of Super Pets, I figured it'd be fun to take a quick look at his origin story. I'm sure there's more to it later on and such, but basically, just a stowaway on Clark's ship. So once again, that's the Super Monkey from Krypton from Superboy number 76. Next up is Action Comics number 261 and Supergirl's Super Pet. The story is by Jerry Siegel, the art by Jim Mooney. This came out in February 1960. It's an eight-page story, and it gives us not only the first appearance of Streaky the Super Cat, but the first appearance of X-Kryptonite. Now, the story here is there's a, a meteor shower that is visible and whatnot from the Midville Orphanage. Supergirl sees that there's some kryptonite in one of the meteors. She slips away to go get some of that kryptonite. She doesn't really think this through because she's like, well, if I touch it, it's going to be painful. But fortunately, there was, you know, a lead can nearby that she's able to kind of use to grab the kryptonite and and encapsulate it. And then in the small chemical laboratory at the orphanage, because of course orphanages are going to have a small laboratory, She's experimenting with the kryptonite, trying to see if she can discover an antidote that'll protect her and Superman from kryptonite. She thinks she's failed, so she chucks the stuff out into the woods, because that's smart. She's going around town, sees a cat getting attacked by a dog, saves it. Later, that cat finds her at the orphanage. It's clearly the same cat, because it's an orange cat with, like, a white lightning bolt kind of thing in its, its fur on both sides. So she calls it Streaky and gets permission to adopt the cat. Now, that's all fine and good, but a few nights later, that cat is out in those woods and encounters that discarded kryptonite. Well, unbeknownst to Supergirl, it's now X-Kryptonite and gives Streaky superpowers. And it's enough of a delayed effect that Streaky doesn't realize that's why he's got powers. 
Now, Superman had been around the orphanage off-panel earlier, dropping off some Superman dolls for the little girls. Now, that's relevant because Streaky kind of crashes into one of those dolls, and that's how Streaky winds up with the cape. Now, Streaky decides to go out and fight the good fight like any cat would do, feeding, you know, starving cats some free milk from a milk truck, and winds up encountering a dog that he, he scares off, and with a loud meow that Supergirl hears, it's like, well, that's, that's way louder than normal, and encounters a Streaky helping some small animals from larger animals and that sort of a thing, and decides that, you know, don't know why you now got powers, but let's go play. So they do that, and that, that's all fine and good, but in pretty short order, Streaky's powers vanish, because they were just temporary, and Supergirl is curious, you know, what happened, if Streaky will ever get powers again, and of course Streaky would love to, and the story ends with a caption saying, hey, did you like this story? If so, let us know and we'll do more. Is this a great story? No, not really. Is it a horrible story? No, of course not. It's it's eight pages, so it's pretty much get in, do the the plot, and get out. And getting both Streaky the Supercat and X-Kryptonite I thought was kind of cool. I'm curious if X-Kryptonite is used again, and if and when Streaky gets kind of permanent superpowers and such. I'll admit, I am not all that familiar with Streaky the Supercat, outside of occasional stories here and there, such as the Legion of Super Pets and whatnot. So I'm sure there's a lot more to be had with the character, but that's fairly tangential to the Legion. I was willing to circle back and, and get the origin of the character. I'm not going to go follow all of them for this project. But is kind of cool, and curious again how often we see the character with the Legion of Super Pets, with the Legion, or just as Supergirl is encountering the Legion later. So once again, that's Supergirl's Super Pet from Action Comics 261. Next up is Adventure Comics number 287 and War of the Superboys. Now, this is a 13-page story. It's part one of two. It continues in the next issue. It's written by Jerry Siegel, art by George Papp. It's from August 1961, and it is the first appearance of Dev M. Now, Dev M isn't a legionnaire, but he shows up in the Legion stuff, so I figured it'd be worth seeing what his origin was and, and getting to know him, you know, from the early days. And I'll be honest, I don't really remember all that much about him later. I mean, he showed up as kind of an ally of the Legion around the Great Darkness Saga originally and such, but you sure wouldn't guess that from from how he is here. He is the troublemaker next door on Krypton. The M's live near uh, next door to the L's, and here he's like noticeably older than Kal-El. Kal-El is seen here in effectively his super suit, running around, able to talk, Beyond what I would consider a, a baby, but, you know, he got rocketed to Earth as a baby, so, yeah, go figure. More of a toddler. Whereas Dev M, definitely a teenager at this point. His parents, Ron M and Lita, uh, think he's just an eccentric genius because Dev M has a habit of stealing inventions by snooping on the father of one of his friends in his lab and stuff and, and just stealing those things and convincing his parents he's really smart when, you know, he's just, he's a troublemaker. and. They really set him up that way. He nearly runs over Kal-El. He and his friends have these flight belts. They go all over town, causing all sorts of trouble. It's funny, one of them, there's a footnote revealing that 
Krypton super radios have picked up broadcasts from other worlds, including Earth, and as a result, Kryptonians can understand numerous languages spoken on distant planets. And then there's this Kryptonian hall of learning, where there are these sleeping scholars rapidly absorbing knowledge using earphones connected to recording tapes, which I guess back then sounded really high-tech. Now it's just, I don't know, subliminal learning or something like that. Anyways, DevM causes all manner of trouble. Think Eddie Haskell from Leave it to Beaver, the one who tries to come across as the upstanding kid, yet he's always up to no good. So when Jor-El announces Krypton will explode, I mean, DevM's no idiot and doesn't want to die. He figures out a way to survive the explosion. Now, some of this by, you know, snooping around Jor-El's lab. He winds up equipping his family's lead bomb shelter with suspended animation pods, oxygen purification equipment, concentrated food pills, water manufacturing machines, etc., etc. And he uses that to save himself and his parents. Now, they're in suspended animation machines, so they're not aging when the bomb shelter gets, you know, hurled off Krypton. And he put rockets on it so it'd get to a planet eventually. And it takes years, but they do eventually land on Earth, which is about where this issue, or this story in this issue, ends. Of he's there, he has got the powers, he has realized that Kal-El, the kid, the baby next door, has survived and grown up to be, you know, a revered hero, and of course he can't have that, and, you know, goes off with, with some scheme concocted. DevM is totally treated as the villain in this story. The ending captions, you know, what is DevM's evil plot with a super powerful villainous teenager from Krypton? You know, what will he do? Those sorts of, you know, non-flattering comments. And there are times later with the Legion, he's kind of the, the frenemy. He's abrasive. He's not easy to get along with, but he becomes a better person, which from where he started wouldn't take much. So I thought it was interesting and this is another case where it's yet another survivor of Krypton. In this case, three, because his parents make it to Earth, although we don't see them getting out of the suspended animation machine. Presumably they'll show up next issue and whatnot. But DevM's always kind of been interesting to me, because, you know, yet another Superboy out there. So, like I said, this continues in the next issue, but that's War of the Superboys from Adventure Comics 287. Next up is Adventure Comics 288 and The Knave from Krypton. This is written by Jerry Siegel, art by George Papp. It came out in August 1961, and it is the continuation of the story from the previous issue, War of the Superboys. And we start with a recap of the first part, because, well, you know, not everybody would have gotten that, and we get the bare essentials. We had told Dev M's basically a, a, a vandal and a menace to society that he'd broken into Jor-El's lab, that he knew Krypton was going to explode, so he figures out how to get the, the lead bomb shelter into a basically an escape capsule and save himself and his parents. That's the first two pages of the 13 here. But, again, this was the era of accessible stories, so they felt obligated to do that, which I appreciate. We then pick up with him having discovered that Superboy is, is a grown-up Kal-El, and, of course, DevM, being basically a jerk, decides to completely ruin that. So he creates an exact, lifelike replica mask of Superboy, hollows out a boulder, sets it aflame with some chemicals and stuff, and basically makes it look like a meteor is about to go hit Smallville. Superboy, of course, is going to go save the day, but lo and behold, 
the meteor changes direction, does a U-turn. Well, of course, it's DevM inside of it, using his X-ray vision to, you know, see what's going on outside of it. Leads Superboy back towards the bomb shelter, introduces himself as the neighbor DevM, which Superboy with a super memory recalls. But then DevM basically hits him with the Phantom Zone projector, or the punishment ray here, and kicks him into the Phantom Zone. Now, in the Phantom Zone, you can still kind of see and observe what's going on in the real world, you just can't do anything about it. So, DevM puts on the mask, he goes, gets a Superboy costume, treats it with some chemicals so it'll be friction-resistant, and basically starts going around, once he's accepted as Superboy, he goes and destroys Superboy's reputation. Starting with the Kents, he's destroying all of his trophies, demolishes a, a clock that Mawcat really liked, destroys Pawcat's armchair, favorite armchair. There's nothing Pawcat can do about it. He tries to, you know, spank him, but, I mean, Kryptonian, uh, not going to work. DevM, as Superboy, flies out the window of the Kent's house, which would reveal the identity of Superboy, but fortunately no one was around. But then Superboy, or DevM as Superboy, goes around Smallville, causing all sorts of problems. Crashing through the street, you know, going to the center of the Earth, blowing away some buildings literally with super breath, covering Lana with cement powder and, and such, and just acting like a complete heel and just everything imaginable, including taking over an alien circus and using those pets to freeze a, a pool. Now, granted, he had super breath. He could have just done that himself. Melting a naval ship. Again, he had heat vision. He could have just done that himself. And, like, everyone's wondering what caused Superboy to turn into such a delinquent. Well, at this point, DevM frees Superboy from the Phantom Zone, saying, your punishment's beginning now. Instead of just sitting there in the Phantom Zone, you're going to have to deal with the consequences of all of this stuff. DevM then picks up the bomb shelter, flies off into the time stream. And Superboy's like, I can explain. And the people of Smallville want nothing to do with this. And the Kents aren't really happy either. But when, when Superboy is trying to explain what all happened, and it's like, nope, it's all lies, get off the planet, Chief Parker basically says, okay, but before you go, you've got to return that trophy we gave you with, because that was the whole bit at the beginning of the issue where uh, DevM had, had seen him being honored getting this, this trophy. And what happens is he's, he's returning it, as he's packing up all his stuff to leave the planet, and Chief Parker does basically a quick change, uh, swap out of the trophy cup, having arranged for a distraction, reveals that this cup is, is red kryptonite, and that's why Superboy's acted so badly. And of course, this will only affect him the once, because that's what red kryptonite did, just an unpredictable effect to once. You know, he's good, and everyone's like, oh, all's forgiven, don't leave. But Superboy's like, that wasn't red kryptonite. And Chief Parker's like, yeah, but I believed your story, you know? So he arranged for the whole thing and basically saved Superboy's reputation doing that. Now, a surprising amount of this story was spent with DevM trashing Superboy's reputation six ways to Sunday, which I thought was both kind of funny and a little little excessive. And the whole story is ending with, at some point, you know, Superboy is going to journey to the future and even the score with DevM. And I'm curious if that ever does happen, but... This makes DevM almost irredeemable at this point, yet later on they do pretty much redeem him to a degree 
as he's an ally of, of the Legion in the future. Throughout this whole thing, his parents never wake up in the bomb shelter. They're still in suspended animation. So I'm not sure where the next appearance of Dev M is. I may add that to the list because I am kind of curious. But this is a, a, again, tangential story. It relates to the Legion because Dev M is a, a character for the Legion mythos. But he's not a Legionnaire. This doesn't involve the Legion directly. But I thought it was a fun two-part story to kind of go revisit and such. And this, too, is one of those stories that led towards Crisis on Infinite Earth, or at least some of the house cleaning they did there, with this is another survivor of Krypton. So, again, getting that full story I thought was worthwhile. So once again, that's The Knave of Krypton from Adventure Comics 288. Next up from Superboy number 93 is Lana Lang's Superboy Identity Detection Kit. Now this is a 12-page story written by George Siegel with art by George Papp. It came out in December 1961, and it doesn't really have any major events for the Legion and stuff. We've got a few things that make it Legion-related. First off, at the beginning of the story, we see the statuettes of the Legion of Superheroes. In this case, we see Supergirl, Cosmic Boy, Lightning Lad, Chameleon Boy, and Brainiac 5. And these statues we see periodically. This isn't the first time we've seen them. Certainly won't be the last. This entire story is all about Lana trying to prove Clark Kent is Superboy. And there are a couple of things where he's doing some superheroics on the sly, and she's like, oh, I bet it was him, and here's why. To the point that she's even donning disguises and, you know, spying on Superboy and such. And... The whole thing goes for a couple of pages until she's finally basically at home doing what her father thinks is homework. She's like, no, I'm not doing homework. I'm writing an article to prove that the secret identity of Superboy is Clark Kent. And her dad's like, that's ridiculous. Clark's too meek and mild to be be Superboy. And she's like, well, you know, I'm not going to print the article. I just want to hold it over his head to prove he didn't outsmart me. And her dad, being the sensible fellow he apparently is, is like, you fool. One, it's not going to do Superboy any good to, to do that. It would, you know, damage his standing as a superhero or whatever. But two, it could also put the Kents in danger. Someone, you know, some criminal might try to kill them or whatever. And I think that stands whether the article was right or wrong. So her father's not happy with her. And she's like, oh, I didn't think of it. It's like, oh, of course you didn't. I'm going to spank you. And he realizes, well, you're too old for that. So instead... He calls the person she's going to go to the dance with next week and says, nope, she can't go. She's grounded for a month. Takes her records away, takes her magazines away. She can't have snacks between meals. And just basically, she's totally grounded for the next month. Well, of course, who does she blame for this? But Superboy, because, I mean, it's all his fault. This just makes her double down on the whole thing. And she basically creates the Superboy identity detection kit in this either briefcase or suitcase or whatever. To the point, she's even taking it on her bike around town. How exactly that works, I think she's got it hooked on the, the handlebars. I, just, it, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. She's following Clark around town. Now, granted, she's grounded. How she's out around town doing this, I guess it's right after school. Don't know, doesn't make sense. But yeah, whatever. She sees Clark go into a cave. Moments later, Superboy flies out, flies back. She goes into the cave and confronts Clark only to discover Superboy's there, too. So, she's like, okay, one of you guys is a fake. You can't... I mean, I I know you're the same person, so maybe it's a Superboy robot or whatever. And so she goes through this series of tests. She takes Clark's tie, 
and burns it, so okay, it's it's not friction-proof, therefore it seems unlikely he'd be Superboy, but he's invulnerable. Let me see if I can cut Clark's hair. Sure enough, she can. Okay, what about the glasses? Takes his glasses, puts them on, looks at Clark, he looks distorted. But, ah, she's clever. She doesn't hand back those glasses, she's got a different pair with ordinary lenses. If he doesn't notice the difference, that'll give him away. He gets the glasses, hey, these aren't mine, so it's like, oh, so far, I mean, that's three for three she's failed. But that's not enough. She's got this fluoroscope thing, and I couldn't tell, because this was a lab that Superboy had in the cave for some crazy reason. I couldn't tell if it was his fluoroscope or hers, because she didn't seem to have it in the briefcase or whatever, and it wouldn't have fit anyways. But she can see the skeleton of, of Clark, but Superboy, the x-ray, wouldn't penetrate. So just to prove, you know, he's not a robot or whatever, he stands behind the device too. And of course, it doesn't penetrate, so she's like, ah, they must be different people. She leaves. Clark and Superboy get a good laugh out of this. And Clark then turns into Chameleon Boy of the Legion of Superheroes. Now, what was he doing here? He happened to be traveling back in time to get a first-hand account of Superboy's life in Smallville for the Superheroes Club newspaper. I don't know if we ever get another mention of the Superheroes Club newspaper, or if that's a Legion thing or another thing. I mean, he's obviously a member of the Legion, so it stands to reason it would be, but the whole thing's ridiculous. Basically, he'd been there as Chameleon Boy, saw Lana enter, but before her eyes could adjust, he basically shapeshifts himself into looking like Clark, and because he doesn't have any powers, of course she could cut his hair and burn his tie. Now granted, he shapeshifted. The tie should have been part of him, which is a little weird. Cutting a part off a shapeshifter seems kind of cruel, but didn't seem to bother him, so whatever. And then when she was looking through the glasses, which, you know aren't prescription lenses, of course, he shapeshifted to look distorted. And of course, he could tell the difference between the glasses because of his powers. He apparently has extrasensory stuff for being able to, to replicate things. He heads off to the future, whatever, and the Kens are like, ah, she'll never believe you're Clark Kent again. He's like, nah, I'm sure in a couple of days she will. I'll admit, I'm not a huge fan of these stories of either Lana or Lois trying to prove Superman is Clark Kent or Clark Kent Superman or whatever. It's just a little ridiculous. Having Chameleon Boy in here, kind of fun, but a little insane too. Just because, again, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of these sorts of stories, but they happened a lot in this era. But we've got Chameleon Boy here, so it's a legit Legion appearance. So once again, that's Lana Lang's Superboy Identity Detection Kit from Superboy 93. Next up from Superman Annual number 4, The Origin and Powers of the Legion of Superheroes. I have absolutely no idea who wrote this. The art was by Kurt Swan. It was published in winter 1961, so I don't know exactly when, but that's what it says in the Indicia, so that's what we'll go with. Now, this is a 25-cent comic book. It was a a rather lengthy uh, comic. We're going to talk about all of three pages, really two and a half at at most. We've got two pages here where we've got really just a a panel per character, a plus one for the Legion Clubhouse, kind of showing off the powers of of the Legionnaires. Phantom Girl kind of ghosting through the, the meeting table, Triplicate Girl being her three selves, Brainiac 5 with his force field belt, lightning lad shooting lightning bolts, bouncing boy, well, bouncing, invisible kid being invisible, 
Shrinking Violet being tiny, Cosmic Boy using his, his powers, this time coming from his hands, not his eyes. Uh, Chameleon Boy in disguise. Saturn Girl using her mental powers on, uh, I guess, some uh, flying animal or some such. Colossal Boy being, well, colossal, and Sun Boy being, you know, his radiant self. Now, in and of itself, these panels are nothing special. I'm not even going to say they're terrific references on the costumes and such. In some cases, better than others. But what is interesting here is I think this is the first time we get the names, the the civilian names, of these characters. So, Tina Wazo for Phantom Girl... And man, I'm probably going to butcher a couple of these. Laronu Durgo for Triplicate Girl, Quirrell Dox for Brainiac 5, Garth Rands for Lightning Lad, Chuck Tane for Bouncing Boy, Lyle Norg for The Invisible Kid, Salu Digby for Shrinking Violet, Rock Crin for Cosmic Boy, Rep Daggle from Chameleon Boy, Irma Ardine for Saturn Girl, Gim Allen for Colossal Boy, and Dirk Morgna for Sun Boy, and again, I, I probably butchered a few of those. Now, what's interesting is this is on page 64 and 65, and then it's like, yeah, see page 10 for identification of these characters. I'm like, dude, I mean, I guess that's where you had the space, so sure, but still. And what's interesting with that other page, uh, back on page 10, is this is a, a typewritten text page that's about the bottom half of it, and it's giving Planet of Origin for some of these characters. Bugaditzel for Phantom Girl, Karg for Triplicate Girl, and that Brainiac 5 is the great, 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 great grandson of the Superman villain. Planet Corbel for Lightning Lad. Bouncing Boy drank the wrong thing. A strange potion from a scientist thinking it was soda. It's like, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Shrinking Violet from the planet Imsks and Cosmic Boy from Brawl, and Chameleon Boy from Durla, Saturn Girl we know is from Titan, although it doesn't mention that here, Sun Boy and Cosmic Boy, or Colossal Boy are both from Earth anyways. But really, just a sentence or two on each of these characters. But between mentioning the planet of origin and the character names, this is actually one of like the densest reveals of information so far for the Legion. And again, it's two and a half pages, but this is where, again, a lot of information comes out for the first time. I'm really curious who wrote this, but I haven't been able to dig up that information. If anyone knows, please let me know. But again, two and a half pages, we get the full rundown of the Legion at this point, which is just a dozen characters, because of course we're not including Superboy or Supergirl at this point, which would give us, I guess, 14 at this point. It's not really a story per se, and I almost missed this in my list of of comics to include, but I was going through the official Legion of Superheroes Index, which was done by the ICG group back in 1986. And the Independent Comics group, I don't know that they really put out much other than a couple of index titles. Kat Urimwood was the editor-in-chief. Mark Wade was one of the writers on this. And again, talk about encyclopedic knowledge of, of these characters and whatnot. And when I was going through what they had for Adventure Comics 247, it was mentioning that some of these names were revealed in this, this annual. And I'm like, okay, I'm curious. 
because we hadn't gotten any of these civilian names before. So easy issue to miss. Really, we're only talking about, again, two and a half pages out of this comic, which is, I think it's an 80-page comic. So in terms, yeah, 80 pages, 25 cents, etc. So a tiny fraction of the comic, but again, information rich for Legion fans. So once again, that's The Origin and Powers of the Legion of Superheroes from Superman Annual Number 4. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.